Okay, welcome back to the Papers Feathers. I'm Justin. And I'm Carrie. Carrie, we are back and we have our guest from a long, long time ago, Mr. Matt. Matt, welcome back. Thank you. It's good to be here. I think, uh, was it like back in 2017, I think, was the last time I was here. Yeah. And um, it's good to be back. Yes. You are welcome back, sir. So, uh, you are not going to usurp uh, Carrie's uh, summarizer in chief role. Uh, so, Carrie. I stand ready to be usurped at any period. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to leave it in your capable hands. Yeah. You might I was, regret that. Now. I was promised a high level summary, the highest of levels. So, well, here's the <laughs> highest of levels then. So, this is this is paper 29, and it is about military force yet again. I think we're wrapping up the military force series. And Hamlin's talking a lot about militia and how good the militias will be at defending the United States. And because they are militias, we're not going to have to worry about the danger of standing armies. And he lays out a number of reasons for why being militias, being close to the people, and basically being administered by the states insofar as the states will appoint officers, that they will not oppress the people. And interestingly enough, from something I think we might touch on, in discussing this paper is that this it, this paper has been often used by uh, right to bear arms enthusiasts as a basis for um, one of the founding fathers Hamilton you know, expressing the view that you need you need an armed citizenry uh, to defend against tyranny and oppression and that's right about the middle of the paper he talks about which that. I still agree with and you got to watch out for that pesky Massachusetts when they rise up, you got to have the militia. Rhode Island, yeah. Rhode the, Island the is militia. a troublemaker. <laughs> we established Rhode yeah. Island is a troublemaker very early does. in this. In this uh, I, in case you need to, <laughs> I love, I love, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. I'm sure. But I uh, found it I interesting how they referenced the uh, invasions of and from Kentucky. In there. I, <laughs> I was not informed that there was uh, such an option in the offing. But uh, are you it, a colonel yet? I'm sorry. I'm no. neither a colonel nor an admiral. Are you uh, gonna get? On that, or it's uh, it's on my to do list. Man. I should be, but it hasn't happened yet. But uh, in any case, I mean that's really the bulk of it. He just lays out how we're, our armed force is going to be a, a group of citizen soldiers, the militia. Um, they'll be less oppressive than a regular army because they're basically a band of your neighbors, and that uh, they'll be they'll be perfect. They're going to be the perfect symmetry of highly effective but also highly responsive to the needs of a democratic government. So let, let's get into it. Well, and, and, you know, right off the start, I'm sorry, I don't know if you guys have had a place you want no, to No, no, jump this, on, I mean, beat yeah, us away. Right off the, right off the start, it. he makes a point which I think, uh, regardless of your feelings on militia and how people who support the Second Amendment and all that, because this, this is a bit of a hot-button issue this, these days. And why, why, why is it? Well, no, I mean just the con- the, the the way <laughs> that the way that that, that uh, uh, guns a hot button issue. What are you fire- talking about? <laughs> <laughs> the way that firearms rights people uh, and I say people people who who uh, believe in the the uh, possession and ownership of firearms and as that, an individual right and that nothing should ever infringe upon that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being aside, uh, and and how people have used either this paper or the Second Amendment to justify that. I think that right off the bat, Hamilton makes a very good point in that he states that a well-organized militia that meets regularly and and stays organized, stays equipped, stays drilling, uh, is one of the best securities you can have. And that's a good idea. I mean, he starts out with that premise that everyone can agree here. Can't we all agree here mm-hmm. that... People who are going to be charged with shooting guns at other people to protect all of us should probably get together every once in a while and practice. And and that having and having a group that organizes just for that purpose is a good idea. And and more so, even uh, we shouldn't leave that to just every individual state have it be their responsibility. The fed there should be a federal government that's in charge of getting them all together. Yeah. To do that. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think I mean I I agree with him on that point and that and that. You know, having you, you got to have a chain of command yeah. when it comes to military, and so having a having something overarching, as opposed to each individual state, Rhode Island, who drills incessantly like the Israelis, yeah, or you know, <laughs> uh, other states who might be a little more laissez-faire in their military readiness. Uh, sorry, I, don't, I, I apologize if I'm offending everybody in the arena. No, yeah. well, I think it's interesting. But, uh, <laughs> so, so here's here's what I throw out is. Um, 
I um, Rhode Island under constant threat of invasion. <laughs> the that's all they got going for yeah, them. The the militant state of Rhode Island. Um, all right. Well, so what I was going to say was is is it's interesting that that you guys have have come to me that you guys have come to the table and with this idea that this is a paper cited by pro gun lobbyists as the idea of. They're not just lobbyists; it's the people also. As, a, as an individual, yes. Uh-huh. Okay, fine. As um, as an individual, right? Because I was having after the the more recent uh, shootings in Dayton and uh, Texas, um, I was having a, a conversation um, with a couple of my friends, and we were talking about about things and about the current events, the events of the day. Wait a minute, man! You don't have any friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just think it's polite not to. I'm I, sorry. I, I, I mentally append the term imaginary, yeah. but I don't say it. You know. So we already. Know I can edit justice. this kind of stuff out. Uh, so just go ahead. <laughs> let's, let's throw down some more. I'm sorry. Right. I apologize. Sorry. Anyways, uh, yeah. See if you come back again. It's a great uh, <laughs> way to not get invited back. Yeah. So, <laughs> anyways. So, but um. So when my one friend he pointed he he sends a link to this article. And the point of the article was to argue that the Second Amendment uh, was was no basically invalidated. The Congress had gotten rid of the Second, the, all intents and purposes, of the Second Amendment uh, at the when they made the uh, National Guard. What? Yeah. Okay. And and keep going. Hold on. And so he and he cited to this paper as evidence of of uh, Hamilton's in, in intent that in the founding fathers' intent that the right to keep and bear arms was a militia-based only type intent and not supposed to be an individual right of ownership intent. That Hamilton's constant discussion of the possession of firearms in a well-regulated militia, which was then later memorialized in the Second Amendment of having a well-regulated militia, and that phrase appearing again, more or less, in the uh, Second Amendment, was evidence that... um, that the right to keep and bear arms is was supposed to have been a uh, designed for a militia and not an individual personal ownership, uh, and that this uh, is a paper that that the anti-gun lobby or gun ownership individual gun ownership lobby would would use in that regard, and you know, and then the article goes on to talk about how when Congress essentially got rid of militias and formed the National Guard that at that point then, since there's no longer militias, the Second Amendment was basically meaningless at that point because since you no longer have militias, you no longer have need to have well-organized militias and therefore, uh, you know, and so it kind of goes off in its own track. But the mm-hmm. article itself plucked certain segments out of this paper and used them in their support for its argument. And, and then here I'm having a conversation with a friend of mine about a current political issue of the day, and I'm struck with a moment in time yet again of someone taking a small section of a one paper out of context and, and feeding it to me in support of their argument. Mm-hmm. And and it was reminded as to, at least for myself, one of the main reasons why I wanted to start doing this was to get an understanding of what all these papers meant, not only individually, but as to kind of come to a global thesis in, in, in the back end, which so far my current running thesis is Hamilton will say and do whatever he wants to on any particular paper. So, well, <laughs> flip-flopper, I, mean, I think is the term. Hamilton <laughs> is, the, is the ultimate advocate for the Constitution, and he will say what he needs to say yeah, to make well, sure that people believe that, that well, I, it should be adopted. But it's not, I mean, that, it's not that's, just... That's what I think is the yeah, overarching theme. That's, yeah, but, but uh, we talked about this last time where... where uh, there have been papers where you know the state governments are incapable of legislating their way out of a paper bag, and at other points there'll be uh, the bastions that will protect you from the uh, <laughs> the overarching federal power. So don't worry about the Constitution; just pass it. You know, and and he says whatever he needs in the moment is his his what I've really come to understand about Hamilton, at least through the first twenty nine now of these papers. He is a lobbyist, he is and a lobbyist. and yeah, he is. and so he is he is. Yeah. But he's willing to change course, whatever it needs done. So, anyways, back to well, yeah. I think so Chris reasons... Hamilton. But it was it was uh, I was in viewing this paper then in in the context of, it, of that article and, and the way it kind of was sent to me prior to even actually sitting down and reading it was was a um, paper used by people who were against the individual ownership of firearms uh, and a, sort of against the Second Amendment. And then you two apparently sound like you've read the paper in the context of. Using the paper in evidence as evidence of individual gun ownership and well, and, and I, I, the right to have 
I think guns. I think more so. And Carrie, you can exact you can correct, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I'm not saying that 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 this paper is ideal for that purpose. What I'm saying is is this paper is where I've seen it been used is that what it, it dovetails with the Second Amendment mm-hmm. in that a state of readiness the the founding fathers intended all individuals to have a state of readiness uh, and and their right to bear arms is is inherent to that mm-hmm. uh, and that's where you know you see some of that supporting language uh, yeah and, and but that's just I think all the debate swirls around the well-regulated militia yeah. language from the Second Amendment um, and and that's where the dividing line is I think in that is that uh, similar to people who um, take sections from the Bible that suit their purposes and then ignore the rest, uh, yeah. people will kind of cherry pick yeah. the the sections of these particular papers and then put them in their own uh, context mm. of the Second Amendment argument uh, mm-hmm. and say, "See, you know, this is this is what was intended. This is a good idea. Everybody thought this was a good idea, and this should remain to the current day." and yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you talked about, uh, I, you mentioned National Guard. I mean, are you referring to when they, I think I did a little research in reading this one today. Uh, Congress voted at the end of its very first session, I think, uh, to, uh, and it was funny because Washington like reminded them twice. They didn't do it. But to to vote a levy to raise a standing army. Yeah. In 1789, mm-hmm. this paper was in 1788 or 87, I think. Um, 88. 88. So less than a year after yeah. this paper is written, Congress actually voted to have a standing army, as opposed to the militia system being the uh, the uh, military force of the United States. Well, this um, article that was sent so, to me was was referring to the National Defense Act of 1916 as sort of negating the need for. Oh, you're militias. saying so? The National Guards replaced the state militias yeah. basically yes. with that. Yes. Act. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that so, makes sense. And so now that the National Guard here now in present yeah. day is around, and the state militias are no yeah. longer. I think even permissible at this point, uh, but I don't know for sure. And then other other than compounds that are privately organized <laughs> out in the yeah. Yeah, but the, I mean the, the states the themselves, you know, non-governmental yeah. national yeah. guards. And so, um, but no, I, that's where I've seen know. it mainly used. Back, you know, to your point, that's, that's where I've seen it mainly used. Is this dovetail? This this type yeah. of language dovetails with the Second yeah. Amendment and says see, one of the things I think see, all the founding fathers thought this was a good idea, and we yeah. should yeah. we should preserve that. So, one of the things but, I think makes it difficult to really review the Federalist Papers honestly and objectively nowadays is that, you know, Hamilton, you know, was a founding father and he's bolstered by strong logic but also by Broadway musicals now where, um, you know, there's this thought of, well, if Hamilton thought it was right, then that's what all the founding fathers, that's the right opinion. And like, I think well, if you take, suddenly has more force than anything else yeah, because of exactly because if, of, if you put these, if someone um, read, put all the Federalist Papers as songs, yeah, then, uh, yeah. it'd be even harder to argue against them. <laughs> Not since but, Schoolhouse Rock, exactly. Has, uh, has, has the federal government been more? But, I'm just a bill. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing is like these really are just Hamilton's thoughts. Maybe you could argue they're Jay's and Madison's thoughts also. <laughs> Maybe Madison's, but I don't know. I'm not going to do that. Jay like laying in bed in a fever, delirium. No, we time. went over this. That's, a, oh, whole, that's a whole other episode. We're going to get back to that down the road. But my point being is like, you, you know, people, if, that's where I think people feel like the stakes are so high in analyzing the Federalist Papers. Like, well, if we admit that Hamilton thought that we were wrong, then we must be wrong. It's like, as we covered near the beginning, Hamilton thought it would be a good idea for German princes to come over and rule America. Good idea, yeah. So, like, you can admit that he thought a thing without conceding that he was right. Hamilton had all kinds of crazy ideas. Sometimes that's the thing. I think that they, I think that people take these things and they, they lose the context of the fact that this was one guy writing under a pseudonym, trying to convince the public that the Constitution was a good idea. Yeah, you know, I mean, the, the. The individual authors, like they, they didn't have like fiat from the rest of the government or the populace. <laughs> yeah. These are people. These, these are the 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 uh, revolutionary or colonial version of comments on YouTube videos. Yeah, you know, what I, mean? <laughs> I mean, not to not to lower them to that. Obviously, I don't know. We're going that. The I'd say they're more like level. letters to the editor. But maybe. I mean, yeah, yeah they, 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 the editor, they yeah. are opinion. They yeah. are opinion, and of and especially opinion of someone who is. Very supportive of the the idea of a national constitution of strong, centralized mm-hmm. federal power, yeah. which is exactly what the federalist movement yeah. is today, right? I mean, yeah. last I checked, yeah. 
And I say that tongue in cheek because yeah, 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 because <laughs> yeah, the Federalists preserve strong federal <laughs> central right, right. power. I've gone on and on about this. <laughs> I want to break down a little bit more. Sorry, let's though, break down the actual said. paper here. Since well, we're, I want yeah, to break so, down a little bit more about yeah. what he said though about this militia argument because I think yeah. that's important to contextualize it. I could see how if you are a gun rights advocate, you could take it to, to mean you know to support gun rights because what he's essentially saying is the way I read it is okay, you're going to have this militia. But you don't have time to train all of your militia of the entire populace all the time. Because he mm-hmm. talked about there, if you train them up to like real army standards, you will not have, you know, they're going to not be able to harvest their crops. The economic yeah. downside of it is so much that you're really only going to have a small core who are trained to that level. And I can go more into that later about yeah. how that's actually what we've, what we've well, done. It's, right? Just in Texas, it's important to keep the context in mind. Yeah. This was before standing armies. Exactly. This was before the National Guard. Yeah. yeah. This is when you, and this you, is arguably, you, this is when you and your neighbors were the army to exactly. repel an invading force. Yeah. yeah. So and so, that's, and I think that's really what, and this actually cuts. It could be used to be cut against the pro-gun. Lobby. We're gonna yeah. stay on the program thing. Huh? Well, okay. I want to finish <laughs> out the no, no, analysis because no, no, I got my first yeah. half. To, yeah. the, the the first half is you have I'm this sorry. small, well trained core. Yeah. And then you have the 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 massive amount of people who might meet a couple times a year and learn how to basically load a gun and yeah. shoot it in the yeah. right direction. And I think his, <laughs> and I think that's his essential argument is not run away. You're gonna have <laughs> you're gonna have a, a <laughs> you're gonna have a small core of people. Who really know what the hell they're doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, who are really almost to regular army standards, and then you got the mass of the population who might not blow their own hand off when they fire a gun. <laughs> but if push which came to shove, which is ideal, which yeah, is ideal. But if push came to shove, that small elite core, no matter how well they're trained, is not going to be able to overcome and oppress the large number of one level above idiot level of training. Mm-hmm. Of like, you know, yeah. you might have a thousand people who are soldier level training. And in like half a million people who could hit a broadside of a bar. They could at least load a they can at least load a musket. Exactly. Which and, which was not an easy procedure back in the day. And that's know, where I think that the pro gun people procedure. get their argument from is that that's the whole idea that Hamilton's trying to talk about here is you're gonna have a small elite army, but the fact that there's larger numbers of less well trained individuals, you know, the non oppression of the country is premised on the idea that no matter how well trained that small number of, of elites are they're not going to be able to co- overcome the mass of the armed citizenry mm-hmm. yeah but that's the thing is and this gets back to my point of taking things out of context mm-hmm. for the purposes of using them for current debate and you know they missed the point that in this paper and in the previous paper especially hamilton talks about the federal government using the army to put down revel you know uprisings yeah you know so the, the, as i understand the program lobby says you know, we have to be armed and ready to go in case we need to overthrow the government. And Hamilton is specifically saying the federal government will use the army to put down armed uprisings. He so, alternates like, paper to so paper. If you Sometimes. use these papers to support the pro-gun lobby, then you're also, you know, in that is the argument that the federal government should put down armed uprisings well, violently. He only, <laughs> he only wants to put down bad uprisings. Bad uprisings. You're right. Bad uprisings. He didn't talk about that. Enough people join it. Then yeah. it becomes legitimate. Keep, and keep, yeah. it, keep in mind, this is before a standing army. So the militia he's talking about yeah. is the one that would be used to put down yeah. the upright. It's not like it's not the militia versus a standing army, which is what the argument would be today. I would yeah. think mm-hmm. is is what people take it and they go, no, each individual citizen they intended us each to be armed in case we need to overthrow, know, rise overthrow up. something, or rise yeah. up. Yeah, exactly. Which is just laughable in the in the in a practical sense. What are you talking about? Um, you know, yeah. Well, you're going to take your 9mm versus an A-10 Warhawk. <laughs> yeah. You don't know what I have in this house. <laughs> yeah, so isn't that just an argument for selling lo- more amounts of military surplus no, hardware no, to the people? I think, yeah. The argument so, should be yeah. the citizenry just is not well-armed enough. We need to be fire- We need to yeah. be unloading anti-aircraft machine guns so, onto the private sector. What you're saying is, what you're saying we is, all need a 50 cal on the top of our houses. At the very uh, least. With rocket launchers and things. No. I, Every family should get a mortar between them. That context is... Strict liability. I mean, yeah. You mess up in your storage and one shoots yeah. off and... And that's why I don't like your neighbor's that's house. That's why a lot of those arguments don't translate well <laughs> to, to today. I mean, yeah. I'm not saying yeah. we should gut the Second Amendment because it no longer applies. What I'm saying is is that 
That's what a I hear. Lot I'm, of the, I'm hearing you say you hate the Constitution. A lot of the, <laughs> just a lot of the practical, a lot of the practical arguments about that they, they don't apply to to the current circumstance. Yeah. Um, but I think that the the argument is about the spirit of that. I don't know that this paper translates to the spirit of it. I mean, this is a pra- this paper is a practical argument about militia. Mm-hmm. And yeah. That, and so the, when the people take it and try and use, well, that supports Second Amendment rights today. Yeah. I don't think so. I, I think people use it in that way, but I don't think that it, it practically. But supports do you think it, it not it doesn't support it because the practical reality has changed, or that in conception it was a bad idea to begin with? This idea of yeah, I mean, the people ultimately, if push comes to shove, should <laughs> have the ability to defeat their government if it becomes too oppressive. Because you can take that and you can translate to a different country. Yeah. And and that this this theory that Hamilton's talking about would remain the same. Yeah. So let's take this and take it over to, um, you know. A, uh, a developing country. Yeah. You know, do you think that people who are often oppressed by the yeah. regime that's in power, okay. do you think it's a good idea to arm those citizens so that they can protect themselves? We have in the past. That's what I, well, I'm not talking about us. Yeah. I'm talking about themselves, like self-government yeah. over yeah, there. I understand. You can, so to say this doesn't apply in the, in the modern age, it does, Yeah. but it depends on what type of a country you're talking about. I think we have, we've moved beyond what the, the, the concern, the practical concerns that Hamilton's talking about in this paper. I think a critic of that the, approach, though, would say something to the effect of, well, yeah, for now, but, you know, liberty requires a turn of vigilance, and, it, you know, if we don't, if we're not armed for now, we won't be armed when it happens. Yeah, well, I, and there's a lot of people who believe that. Yeah, um, and that's why I think yeah. it's... A lot of them are underground yeah, in the West. Exactly. <laughs> I, th- I, think, I think you have to bifurcate the question of, like, ask about... Putting aside practical reality of being able to fight back against modern military technology, should that be a goal that you have, as Hamilton seems to suggest? And then only after you've answered that question should you advance on to the real-world consequences of it. Yeah, I mean, you asked the question before as far as, like, is it... Uh, is it just a bad theory, mm-hmm. or is it just in this context? And, or is it just not realistic and, anymore? And I think you can ask that. I think that's that's a valid question. I, I you know, honestly, I I don't know. Yeah. I, I think yeah. that I think that in the current day United States of America, this isn't really relevant anymore. Um, what this the idea that we have to maintain a, a militia in addition to like a standing army because that's what we have. Um, mm-hmm. I think that if you take it over in a different context. That even in modern, even in our modern age, that it can apply to a, a country who maybe doesn't, maybe isn't, is, doesn't have the same situation as us. Maybe doesn't have the same uh, advancements in government. Maybe you know they're literally being ruled by despots. Yeah. You know, so that's a concept that you could take over. So I don't want to say I don't want to paint the whole theory and say yeah. nah, it's just a bad theory. Yeah. Um, I think it's I think it's a it's a it's a good thought. It's a good argument mm-hmm. for that in that context. Yeah. So. I, I still think the strongest critique that you can bring against that viewpoint is that it, the time to start having that debate is not after you're already oppressed and after the government is already yeah. stamping you down. Yeah. Because by then, the oppressive regime is not going to be the if one that gives you If you limit the people additional... to slingshots and bows and arrows, it's going to be that much harder. <laughs> or just say no guns, you know. Um, yeah. You know Which... you're, you're, it'll be too late then. I think that's their critique yeah. is it'll be too late then. But yeah, there's a valid practical point, point, though, of is... Is do you even have a chance? You know, even mm-hmm. even the most sophisticated firearms out there, compared to modern military technology, and honestly, it's not even the weapons so much anymore. It's say you're thinking about becoming a revolutionary. What's going to stop you at the the get go is less likely to be an airstrike, but more likely to be a uh, government observation of your internet account. You know, you're never going to feel a you know if. If there's a, ter- a watch list for certain keywords, yeah, or I'm gonna like that. start to be wondering if we're gonna be surveilled after this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I got my bunker ready. All the, all the keywords are there. Yeah, all, all the, the keywords. keywords. Yeah, the computer uh, at the NSA is gonna flag us for review by a live human pretty soon. <laughs> well, um, uh, I mean, I don't know if we get if we want to circle back around to the breakdown of the paper, but I mean, yeah. So that's so that's the first point that Hamilton makes yeah. is that. Uh, that it's a good idea for everybody who's going to be, if we're going to have a militia, they should get together regularly and that a federal government should oversee that because it's better to have a chain of command. I, I, I'm reading chain right. of command into that. Let me, But it's better to have an overarching federal government monitor, control, or, or not control, but monitor and make sure that this regular militia... Or these he wants a uniform standard. He talks yeah. about uniform it's, standards. It's, everybody's getting together. We don't just have our own little yeah. scattered uh, systems. Let me interject 
I'm gonna take us right. I'm gonna pull a Hamilton and take us right back off the rails. <laughs> okay. All right. I know you wanted right, to get back into paper. Too. That's I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna yeah, yank we, you right back you off. Can go this. on as much as you want, man. <laughs> right. It's your, it's but, your hard drive. So <laughs> the uh, <laughs> so so one of the things Hamilton points out is that in here that you you've hit on a few times, Matt, is this idea of that the militias, the members of the militias should be well trained and well regulated, right? So Hamilton envisioned, and I think, you know, the idea of, like, if the people have the guns, the people should be able to use the guns. Again, like you mentioned, carry to not shoot their hand off and be able to hit the broadside of a barn. Yeah. All right? So what about taking... Well, and also to maintain... I mean, one important thing okay. is not just functional knowledge of how to use a firearm, but also to maintain discipline. Yes. I mean, you take somebody who's a shopkeeper in their normal life or who's a coal and miner. they need to go march along and who's a, yeah, yeah. Who, who's a, Who shoes horses me... all day. How do you maintain discipline... Uh, and and have some military training to, but to be part able to of follow that orders of maintaining like discipline that. and having military training is the usage and proper operation of your firearm right yeah, I mean that's, okay yeah, so it's part of those skills part of those skills so why not then in the modern context look at this paper and say ah oh, look the founding fathers talked about the idea of a pop if the population were to have firearms they needed to know how to use them and be able to demonstrate that and come for regular training why not use this paper as a argument for current new gun legislation which requires licensure and demonstrated practical training in order to be able to maintain your your usage and possession of that firearm you just go off the rails you like went off across country could you take could you take this paper and say look this is an here look founding father uses this uh idea of like well-maintained well-regulated militias we can use that as an argument for mandatory licensure and demonstrated ca- capability uh, with your firearm, you certainly could, you know, and and I'll come out and say I'm 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 in favor of the Second Amendment, but I am also in favor. I am a child. I am also in favor of not getting shot at a gun yeah. range because someone is handling this thing for the first time and they don't even know how to work it. Yeah, and they they're taking a loaded firearm, turning it sideways to see what's wrong with it, and shooting me in the next bay over <laughs> yeah. to catch one in the kidney because they don't know how to use it. Yeah, um, I shouldn't laugh, but I, I, yeah. no, and I and, and again. <laughs> I guess we should say, you know, and like Justin, you mentioned the shootings yeah. and everything. We're a little, we're, we're friendly here. We're a little flipped in some of our comments, but you know, these are these are tragedies. We're Absolutely. talking about these yeah. in the context of, of you know, uh, this this time. But um, you know, uh, yes, I I I am. I think that someone having the proper training to use firearms back in the revolutionary days and now. <laughs> Uh, Both good ideas is something. It's it's a fantastic yeah. idea, and I and so, I think you could take this paper and say, make point. that argument and say, listen, the founding fathers not not only believed that the right to to bear arms uh, was an important one, but they also believed that the militia that was going to be using them should regularly train on how to use them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but I disagree <laughs> with that point because I don't think. I mean, I think we can agree on that, but that's not what Hamilton says. No, I don't think that's what he says. Because okay. right, to yeah, go back to what he taught, what I mentioned, most of the people he says. It would be necessary to assemble them once or twice in the course yeah, of the year. Yeah. When you're assembling people once or twice a year, you're not having to learn how to march or like learn military oh, protocol. Hey. You're literally training them on like, here's how you basically shoot your gun. Okay. Good luck with that. Enjoy the harvest. Every, every know, four years, national... I have to renew my driver's license. Yeah. I have to go to a government agency and say, here's my competence in, in operating this machine in the public sphere. Yeah. Yeah. And the why, National, why, the national okay. Guard is one weekend a month, two weeks a year. Yeah. So, so I mean... You know, if Hamilton's saying, hey, if you're going to own a firearm, you have to come in every six months to demonstrate you, yeah. your, your your practical usage, why not take that I, idea to the modern context? I guess to Carrie's point, uh, yes, it, it's, it is a, I think it's a good idea in the modern context. I don't think that's what Hamilton is trying to okay. say. Okay, all right. I was just throwing it out there. Yeah. All right, so let's get back to the paper. What's next? So, Well, I want, because I want to layer, put another layer of historical context on it, because yeah. there, Her, uh, Hamilton is really covering what was sort of the given of the times, because... That level of training, the citizen levies, was sort of standard. Um, I know throughout history, battles and wars have been won and lost based on the fact that, like, the the large mass of the people you brought in were poorly trained and also had other stuff to do. Mm-hmm. You know, most famously, and I, this might be going back a little bit, but I'm going to go there. You know, 1066, right. William the Conqueror. <laughs> you know, like, one of the big p- p- reasons that, in- that England was conquered was that... Uh, the then king of England called up all of his farmers to come and serve in his army as they're obligated to they do. For no idea what they were doing. They had no idea what they're doing, but that wasn't the issue. Yeah. It's like they were waiting around 
to for William to get over to England to invade, but the wind was going the wrong way, and they're like, "Oh, we got to harvest the crops, man!" Uh, seriously, exactly. They're right. like getting on his case. Yeah. They're like, so he's like, uh, "All right, all right." He's like, "We're waiting weeks," and he's like, yeah. "He says, go harvest your crops, and I'll let you know if I need you." So like right after he told him, "Go harvest your crops," the wind changed. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, get those guys back here. I mean, it's, a, it's that a was the pattern of it. Yeah. And that's, a, I mean, I, I want to give credit where credit's due, but there's mm-hmm. a, there's a comedian talked about that kind of thing that I heard once, or recently, where he talked about, can you imagine a draft today? If we had to pull yeah. up a draft, and be like, you'd pull up like some, you know, kid who was in like his mid twenties or something like that, going, oh, I can't go off to war. I just, I just formed a startup. <laughs> exactly. I make, I make set of shoes out of recycled cashews. They're yep. called <laughs> cashews. I've heard I mean, that. <laughs> I mean, what's going to happen to my company if I go off to war? <laughs> I mean, you're going to. I mean, those those problems are solved. Yeah. by Having a standing army. But I think that's when we lose sight of the fact that, yeah. like, one, we're so used. to... We live in the world where most national armies are standing troops. There's mm-hmm. not this. Their job is to be in the army. That's their job. That's their career. Uh, war or peace, they're always there ready to yeah. serve. Yeah. But that didn't really happen until Napoleon. was the mm-hmm. Conscription happened under Napoleon in the late 1700s after the Revolutionary War that that happened. So what we think of as the given now, they think of as that's not even an option because how do you support that high of a fraction of your population yeah, being they, in the military, they're not harvesting the crops. They're not creating exactly. goods. They're not engaged in trade and commerce. You know, they, we can't just afford for them to be. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, and at just the time, the at the army. time this paper is written, that was Hamilton. One of Hamilton's points is you're going to destroy the economy if you try to have a exactly. large national mm-hmm. army. Yeah. It can't. It's not practical. So we'll have these well-trained little groups that will train everybody, the rest of the people up. They'll be the core. They'll be the skeleton. They'll be, they'll be yeah. the core. The backbone. Yeah. And that's the model we followed through a lot of our history until after World War II. Even though they were a regular army, uh, you would have this, the regular army was a small cadre. And well, when there was a war, Civil yeah. War is a great example, you expanded out from that cadre. Same way in you know, World War I, World War II, mm-hmm. the regular army was the framework in which a volunteer army was built around. Yeah. It wasn't until after And the military-industrial complex took over. <laughs> oh, well, but there's a, there's <laughs> a still, point that. We still have that. We still have that to a yeah. degree today. Yeah. We still have limited conscription. You know, you don't call it conscription anymore. But we have a volunteer army. Yeah. We, we don't have a draft. So yep. we have people coming and they volunteer for a term of service. It's because there's so many of us now. Well, so yeah, we can, we can afford to take, yeah. have some people just be in the army. Um, so I mean, but but this the sergeant, the non-commissioned officers, yep, the sergeants, the the masters, you know that whole that whole uh, hierarchy in there, uh, they are the the professional army. Yeah. And they're charged. I say sergeants because there's the one. They are the ones who are charged with training these people who are coming in, mm-hmm. who are only short timers. Yep. In the context of the larger army, and that still exists to a, to a degree today. Yeah. And a, a, a downside of that approach, where you have this core of trained professionals that everything else would be, everyone else would be built around, is that um, you have an incentive for that core of trained professionals to want to try to push for a military conflict. Because I remember I've read a lot of stuff about biographies of military leaders. Patton is a great example. Patton was always jonesing for a war because. <laughs> The, 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 honestly, the fastest that should way, be the title of this episode. Jones and Four. Jones and Four. Number twenty four. Patton is Jones and <laughs> Because if you're of a given rank, the best way to get a massive um, rank increase is all of a sudden if the military, you know, balloons. Have a be yeah. the one guy that survives. Yeah, field, field commissions abound. Yeah. When there's one day you're a conflict. captain yeah. commanding, you so. know, 120 guys. Next day you're commanding a regiment. Yeah. You know, yeah. and so anyone who is a career military would want a war. So they would advance in rank quickly, uh, both through military expansion and opportunities for glory. Uh, um, that was a plot point in that. You ever see that Thin Red Line movie? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was a... Uh, which guy was trying to get a promotion? He was... I, I, his, I remember that part of the thing. I yeah, don't remember, I remember which, which guy it was. was. All right, all right, never mind. So you don't have that reality when you have a standing Sorry, army where... pop culture reference there. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, you're fine. <laughs> if your army is not is not dramatically expanding when there's a war, you don't have that same incentive to want to go to war because it's not going to advance your career as fast. I mean, it still might, you know, opportunities for valor, but you're not going to sure. suddenly have times 100% people showing up under you. But the flip side of that is, as Hamilton was saying, you know, the military-industrial complex speech of, of, uh, Eisenhower. of uh, Eisenhower, yeah. where... You know, you have this gigantic slice of your gross domestic product and your manpower going into military. You know, if you have someone who's, you know, your best and brightest who are in the military and you don't have a war, 
do you have an opportunity cost there? Because that same high-level quality person could have cured cancer or mm -hmm. could have yeah. started a, mm -hmm. a big company or yeah. something. You know, it, it bears thinking because yeah. there's pluses and minuses to both sides. Well, and speaking of the, you know, circling back to the actual paper itself, speak, speaking of the military-industrial complex and the, the fears people have about that kind of thing, the, I think the next section of the paper, Hamilton talks about everyone has this fear of the federal government and their use of the army to oppress people mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. And it gets onto my one of my favorite terms in this paper that I told you guys about before <laughs> we were talking pre-show, yes. which is posse comitatus. And what does posse comitatus <laughs> mean, Mr. And, well, Carrie, you're the one who, who uh, uh, consulted such scholarly sources as Wikipedia, I believe. I didn't even make it to Wikipedia. <laughs> That's too deep for me. I will. Uh, you, you summarized it very well. I'm going to let you... Uh, tell the people your summary of Posse Comitatus. Well, I feel like it really was. gives me, I want to go so, watch some westerns now, because I always talked about, I'm like, oh, well, that's where Posse well, comes posse. from. Yep. You gather your Posse. I guess it, it's it's Latin for the force of the country, and basically what it is, is uh, a Posse Comitatus is the authority, the magistrate or the sheriff or whoever, mm -hmm. is just gathering up, up a bunch of random people to go enforce the law. You know, I guess yeah. it's a... Uh, a generalistic term that would cover such things as a militia, uh, a, a group of uh, honorary deputies that get sworn in to chase somebody down, all of those things, a, uh, a sort of slapdash, jury-rigged, go-get-em-force. Yeah, ex exactly. Well, and so Hamilton in that section of the paper, the next section, talks about people who are afraid of you know the, the, the federal government being too powerful. But then again says these same type of people speak out of the other side of their mouths and say, well, when there's trouble, I don't have the ability to pull up this force to go enforce it or anything like that. You know, I, what can we do? We kind of shrug our shoulders and say it's, it's, it's not our problem. And he's saying having this militia mm -hmm. that is trained and meets regularly and knows how to fire their guns and doesn't look down the barrel to see what's blocking it or something like that, you know, um, uh, is, is the, uh, the one, uh, body that can resolve that problem so you you have a federal government who uh who can take this militia and use it to solve problems uh -huh. to call up the posse comitatus the force of the and it's literally the force of the what did you say what was it? force was of the country the force of the country so that it's it's the militia it's the force of the country they they come out you know with their firearms that they've met twice a year to learn how to shoot and uh and, and the federal government is, is one of the best agencies to be able to do that, and they have that ability to do Just it. Just some way. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to happen. Yeah. We'll fill in the details later. <laughs> That's right. So Throughout this paper, I have to say, and I, I, I've probably waited too long to say it, one thing that's craziest to me is that he is selling the militia as a solution to anything. He is. You know, it seems like which is, which from is, the get-go, the militia was horrible in now the Revolutionary Look, now, we have the benefit of our 20th century hindsight on this. Yeah. You know, we have the benefit of historical perspective and people who have examined the role of militia yeah. in, in armed conflicts between organized armies, you know, mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. I think one of the, and this is a recommendation, and I, I, I should get the author's name, but there's an excellent book called Special Forces Operations of the Revolutionary War. Uh -huh. And uh, people listening to this podcast, I'm assuming, be interested in something like that. But um, it's an excellent read. It talks about how militia formed of essentially like mountain men, yeah. essentially, uh, were a, a force that, sort of, that turned the tide in certain battles mm. uh, because of their ability to be so well trained in the use of firearms as opposed to their, the standing armies. You know, when they, when they were, when the, the, the regular revolutionary army... Mm -hmm. um, we're lining up Napoleon style, you know, toe to toe with the British regulars, mm -hmm. and we're we're failing in that. Uh, these these people who were used to sneaking about, you know, just for lack of a better description, yeah, sneaking around in the forest and shooting things, really excelled at special forces <laughs> operations, specifically cutting off, you know, key I British forces. I feel like this book was supplies. written by an ex-militia member <laughs> <laughs> because everything I have heard about the militia in the Revolutionary War talks about they're a bunch of, they were literally guys who could barely avoid shooting their own hands off. <laughs> like, Washington hated the militia it, they, because 
Yes, in those special in those special contexts, exactly where they're exactly. acting like Mel Gibson from The Patriot, running around the woods this and was, shooting uh, random that's shots. That's how yeah. all militiamen. No, no, were. This was, so, right? but they were hopeless in, in line <laughs> of battle. They were hopeless. Yeah, they were. Like they and, gave a long time of the example. What was the button battle where they had the militia and they fired one shot and they ran and then everybody had the British advance and then they mowed everybody down. Uh, I think it was Calpins I was talking about. Is that it? Yeah. Well, yeah. there was so they yeah. specifically talk about they spent a big section of time talking about Ethan Allen, and yeah. e- and Ethan Allen's group. He basically had this Green Mountain Boys group, yeah, that were very loyal to him, but they gave the finger to just the regular army. They could care yeah. less because they're very independent. They wanted nothing of any of the government. They they lived off the land, but it does a really good discussion of how the how these Ethan Allen's Green Mountain Boys like basically came together and snuck around in the dark and they used the, you know, like their connections with the Indians and Native Americans in the area uh, to sort of undercut certain British operations in the area, specifically in the Ohio Valley uh, and up in Canada and the Great Lakes region. So I mean, I think that, I mean, I've heard that is correct as far as those small groups. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like, I think... From what I have heard, that is more the exception that proves the rule. Yes, rule because no. I'm just saying I think it was, an, inter- it was an interesting of use guys, of militia. Yeah, for, because in those specialized capacities, yeah, they could mm-hmm. do you know those guerrilla operations and whatnot. But in the end, what what won the war was field actions. Yeah. You know, Yorktown won the war. But what so that's what's interesting in this is is yeah. militia and that reputation for militia. The reputation mm-hmm. I mean not being very good, the reputation of being very bad. Yeah. Hamilton still makes it sound like the militia calling up posse comitatus. Yeah. And the federal government's ability to control that is the best is usually is, is the best way to yeah. do it. And so uh, is you know is something that's a that, that should be used regularly or we should rely on. Yes. Uh, which is unusual. So So and and to jump back to the paper, I know we've well, I mean, well, I, was, I was trying yeah. to circle back. Circle. All right, well, I'm going gonna, gonna to close the loop. Absolutely. Right. Appreciate that. So, uh, Hamilton talks about the idea, the Anti-Federalists, or at least what he says the Anti-Federalists were concerned of, was giving the federal government control over militias, uh, as opposed to the states having the control over the militias. Uh, and they, they were concerned that the federal government would then use one state's militia to oppress people in a different yeah, state. Yeah, this is a little further down, Yeah, right? it's a little further down, okay. yeah. Mm-hmm. And he says, look... You know, people in the state militias would never do that. They just people would just would never go and oppress the uh, citizenry of another state. They can harvest their crops. They can't you know, go nowhere. Um, and <laughs> no, we got time for that. Exactly. <laughs> so, and that the states would retain the right to appoint the officers in the militia, which would also then be a guard against this idea of the federal government using the militias mm-hmm. nefariously. Okay. Uh, he also then talks about the idea that. Um, there's a great there's a great quote the, along those lines, like further down. I don't know, and I'm sorry, I'm no, no, you're no, getting no, to it. No, no. He basically is like, "Who can we trust more than the good old boys in the militia?" Of course, I mean, you, we all know who they are. If you're worried about the militia oppressing you, that's crazy. They would never do that. They're our neighbors. We know them. Yeah, we can trust. Like, them. If you can't trust your own country, man, <laughs> right, then what are we doing here? Exactly. Is what is what he. You know, I thought that was a great. I thought that was yeah. a great addition to that. And which is why, like, which is which you're is, worried was, about this. This is ridiculous. Come on, we, so don't, accurate, we all know these people. Which is why you know, back then no one had locks on their front doors. I mean, because everyone trusted everybody, and why even today in America we have we have no locks on any of our front doors or our houses because no, we, all, no. we all trust everyone. <laughs> I get the feeling implicitly. There's a bit of tongue and cheek sarcasm. <laughs> there's massive again. amounts of sarcasm here again. <laughs> <laughs> My spidey senses are tingling with the yeah. sarcasm. Yeah, as you walk past my like eight surveillance cameras from the sidewalk yeah. to my front yeah. door. Considering it's easier getting a nuclear missile silo than it is to your <laughs> So I feel like your Hamilton is generally trying to um, spin and capitalize on this popular American myth, even at the time of the Minuteman as the citizen soldier. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I got that feeling. It's a lot easier to do that with the citizen soldier than it would be the regular soldier, because when people yeah. think about regulars back then, they probably think about the British redcoats, yep. yep. and they think about the militiamen. Yep. People that at this time, people's idea of standing army was the British redcoats invading. Essentially, there's a lot of negative sentiment. Whereas the militia were the hometown boys. They were, it was the home team. They just won a big victory. There was a ticker tape parade. There wasn't yeah. actually. You know what, I mean. what do you mean? There's so no ticker tape parade. I mean, there was. I mean, there was a lot of hometown. Support. You promised a ticker tape parade, so, man. You better deliver. <laughs> so I think he's. Cap- you know, once again, Hamilton being ever the the uh, influential lobbyist who knows what his audience wants. Yeah, is is capitalizing on this popular notion of the militia. 
and, and saying, you know, we know these are the, these are the heroes. Yeah, they'd never turn on us. So, the other one of the other points uh, Hamilton makes is that you know if the federal government, if there was a national issue and the federal government didn't have the ability to move move the militia from one state to another to mm-hmm. deal with the situation, then one state in the union may end up bearing disproportionate costs of war. Like if there was a yeah, full yeah, amount of war, okay, mm-hmm. and say the the battlefield happened to be in South Carolina, and if the federal government couldn't pull militias from New York and Pennsylvania down to South Carolina, okay. name the people up, those, you know, if they didn't have the ability to move them, to force them down there to help fight out the situation in South Carolina, then South Carolina might be on their own. And... Yeah, they'd have to full, be full, bear the full cost, cost of, of everything. Whatever situation when they're fighting for like our mutual benefit. Yes. Yeah. So there's that. So is there any other points in the paper that we haven't discussed? Unless it was bad. Huh? <laughs> it was the Battle of Cowpens. It was yeah. the Battle oh, okay. of Cowpens. Okay, all right. Carrie yeah, so. is furiously <laughs> researching something that mentioned. I want to emphasize again so the whole point can. of why the militia did good at Cowpens is what all we told them to do, remember, is act like militia, fire a shot and run the hell away. <laughs> Which is what they did. Because Matt might not. Give him the full context. Give him the story. I, I know Cal Penn. Yeah. I know the story. Okay, well, someone who's listening might not have heard oh. our other episodes. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, yeah, where we ahead. discussed Cal So Pins. the whole reputation of militia at the time was that they were not willing to stand and receive fire from the enemy. Like, they would consistently have a reputation for running away all the time and creating huge holes. A la Monty Python, the Holy Grail. Run away. Yeah, they, they were the brave Sir Robins of their time. Yes, exactly. Um, and so at Cowpens, they put them on the front line, told them basically, fire it was, it was a, So it was a feint, essentially. They, they were well, using a defensive them. feint. I they guess. were rope doping. They were, they were, they were saying, yeah, it, act like militia, fire one shot, and you guys run away. Yeah, they used a, the same tactic um, going back a ways, was famously used a lot by the Mongolians. Yeah. They would do a fake retreat. Uh, the people who were... I mean, feint, I mean, F-E-I. Yes, yes. Um, they would do a fake retreat um, in the face of the enemy who were entrenched or, you know, in the well-organized... So they would then line. charge. And yeah, then, they'd break their yeah. formation, they'd charge. So this is the British charge and they got mowed down. The British charged and didn't realize there was a second line of regulars <laughs> that they were going to plow headlong uh-huh. into and they received fire point blank range and then they, they went, ha, they ha, ha, ha. But that was because it was so believable... That the militia yeah. would run the heck away. How does a cliche become a cliche? Exactly, <laughs> because it's so true so often. Yeah. Exactly. No, and that makes sense. Yeah. So no. that's where you know, it's it's funny that they have this this militia has this reputation of yeah. uh, we and to this day though we still we still reinforce that reputation the Minuteman reputation the reputation of the citizen soldier. Well, join the National Guard. Do these commercials all the time. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, the persons at work and then they turn around and they're. And geared up with green face paint, and they're mm-hmm. you know dropping in on disaster yeah. zone, pulling yeah. somebody out of a hurricane situation. Filling sandbags, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, and that exists to this day. But that's yeah. part of that's part of the you know that's nationalism. So, and Hamilton's smart though; he's capitalizing on it. Yeah. He once again he he has his client is the United States Constitution, and he's advocating the best he can uh, on their behalf. I so. I do want to, especially considering how much bo- of a boost Hamilton gets from. The character of Washington in the movie. I think it's only fair that the character, the real life character of Washington, best answer Hamilton's high opinion of <laughs> the, we, so the to set it up, we, we have a quote from Washington, we George do. Washington, About the man militia. himself, on the colonial militia. Correct? Yes, in a letter okay. right. in 1776, he's, he he Washington wrote, "I am wearied to death all day with a variety of perplexing circumstances." disturbed at the conduct of the militia, whose behavior and want of discipline has done great injury to the other troops, who never had officers except in a few instances that are worth the bread that they eat. So they're not even worth the bread they eat. And you know what's funny, And this though, is who we're trusting is, our national security to. I don't, I don't know the date that letter was written, so I'm going to put a comical vision in your mind, though. If if Alexander Hamilton was George Washington's aide-de-camp, it was his, he was his yeoman, yep. he was his secretary, right? Uh... There's a good chance Hamilton wrote that letter. That's the point. <laughs> but I was looking earlier, and which you know, apparently which Hamilton this he started off in a volunteer unit, so maybe that's it was that was maybe like his go. like yeah. uh, 
fraternity of brothers. He's you know? a callback to his. So nobles, for him, so. it's like all nostalgic. Okay. But for everybody else, like the militia is the answer to anybody's problems. <laughs> I mean, come on, it's a it's a bad it's a bad answer. Yeah. So I mean, um, I don't know. I I I, I think Hamilton may. I think of all of a lot of compared to a lot of his papers, the arguments in this one seem fairly straightforward. Yeah. Um, he doesn't go off the rails too far, unlike we, unlike us. But uh, he, you know, he seems to make some some common sense arguments and then appeals to the heroism that I think everybody believes about the militia at the time. So I have to I have to admit, and I don't think we're going to get an answer to this. Um, I I really am curious as to why he focuses so much on the militia instead of just forthrightly saying we're going to have a, a national army because a lot of the opinions he a lot of the supports he argues is for the effectiveness of a. Militia would be better made about a national army as having the strength to suppress discord to defend the nation. In his earlier papers, he seems to go that way. It's mm-hmm. important we have a strong national army yeah. to defend the nation. Maybe he's just trying to backpedal here some because he made such strident arguments there that people started to oh, you want a big national army to press everybody. He's like, oh, no, actually, I meant militia. Did I say army? I'm a militia. I mean, yeah, obviously, I don't, I don't know if there's an answer to this or not. I mean, yeah. my, my gut I mean, reaction the idea. is to say that people still have a bad taste in their yeah. mouth about, about central government. And, yeah. and the ability, especially the military ability of someone to enforce their, their will... Yeah. Uh, by the use of by the use of arms, like a government being able to force its will, but you know, like the British did, they just yeah. came off that situation. I agree. With you. So yeah. I mean, I, that's and my let's, best let's guess. Let's not forget that they went there to amend the Articles of Confederation mm. and and pulled out a constitution and said, "Hey guys, instead of doing what you told us to do, by the way, we did this instead. We got this. <laughs> yeah, check so, this out. So you know, the idea and and while." They call for a national navy, and all the arguments that were used for the navy, a lot of them could have been transferred and used for an army. And yeah. you know, instead, he talks in terms of militia. Like you said, the idea of a militia was probably more palatable to the average citizen. I think so than, too. Than a yeah. than a, a full on blown yeah. national army. For a lot of these arguments, you know, a lot yeah. of people, a lot of people um, were were just in. That that was something that they were comfortable with, and it, yeah. this whole Familiar. that's why I like that, that familiarity. Yeah, that's why yeah. I like that argument at the very end. He's like, "These are our people. These are the people yeah. we know. They would never turn on us." I'm guessing that's why militia is a good idea. He's probably but the, gov- the, the federal government should control them. So yeah, I feel like that argument would have really rung true back then. Because what examples of oppression could they have possibly have seen that would have rebutted that argument in their day to day lives? Yeah. at the time, exactly. I, I can't think of any. Mm. No, none, none whatsoever. <laughs> no, <laughs> Full on sarcasm again, in case anybody's listening. <laughs> I do appreciate one last point. I think we might jump past. It's a minor point, but uh, how, like, uh, what he's talking about, how, well, some people say there's not really any th- authority in the Constitution to make an army. He's like, but it's necessary and proper. Yeah. It's like one of the yep. earliest invocations yeah. of necessary and proper yeah. as being the skeleton yeah. key to open up anything and everything. Anything, which they should, necessary and proper. To they should have known yeah. back then that that's the most dangerous clause. Exactly. <laughs> they should have been like, wait a second, maybe we should edit th- that part out. <laughs> should, yeah. we, should we line item this thing? Yeah, it sounds like that could go some I don't know, they places. left the Commerce Clause in there, and we've all seen how we've just destroyed that. I don't nowadays. think they ever anticipated the Commerce Clause being used for what it is, but that, they, we could yeah. do a whole other episode yeah, on I that. Don't, yeah. <laughs> I don't think Hamilton anticipated the Internet, certainly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, well, uh, thanks everybody again for joining us. Uh, wow, hopefully, we'll have two minutes already. Jeez. Yeah, and time flies when you're having fun on a Saturday afternoon talking Friendless Papers in your buddy's basement, you know. And what can I say? No place I'd rather be. I appreciate it. Thanks thanks so, for having me on, guys. Thanks for, thanks for coming us. back. And uh, hopefully we'll be back on a more regular basis uh, for everybody who's listening, if anybody's still around. All right? Thanks. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> hey, you're really hammering on it. Fade, fade to music. Da, 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 da.